everybody and welcome to an extra long well hopefully not long but an extra jam-packed episode of um not too old state of flooping the pig of flooping the pig i'm brad garoon i'm here with justin houston and kevin ford what's up fellows hi hey hey not a lot how about yourself i'm doing great i'm excited to talk about uh well this is the first of two episodes where we're going to talk about the miniseries elements but before that we have a little a bridge between uh, the the miniseries Islands and the miniseries Elements called Orb. Tell us about it, Kev. Sure. So the boys, boys being Jake, Finn, and Bimo, are on a boat with a bunch of bananas, leaving the island where Jake, uh, or not Jake, where Finn and got to learn about his mother and all this stuff, and they're heading back home. And during the evening, there's a orb hiding in a cloud overhead. That gives all of our main characters nightmares. We get Jake's nightmare, which sees him back home with Jermaine. Both of them are, I think they're aware they're dreaming and they're digging this hole with a large shadow cast over them. There's like some canned laughter in the beginning, almost like they're in a sitcom with their dad. And it ends with Jake's mother turning into the moon of Vampire King's court fame and sucking his soul away. And we see in the window of the house uh, some vampire wings and the shapeshifter from the season six episode, Joshua and Margaret Investigations. In Finn's dream, he's flying amongst the clouds. He's kind of happy to leave U behind. And suddenly uh, we see like this storm cloud with an eyeball and it begins to follow him. Uh, PB dashes his dreams of flying when he gets back on the ground. She has teeth falling out of her face. The grass pulls Finn to the ground. Uh, very common dream stuff with flying and teeth falling out. Bimo, on the other hand, is an audience member of a stage play where two Mo's are playing the roles of Finn and Jake. They, uh, they're bored without Bimo. They hit one another. Bimo doesn't enjoy the play a little bit later on and goes to confront the director who is Amo. And then eventually everybody emerges into the theater. So all three of them realize that they've now in each other's nightmares. We even see a version of Bimo that looks like the lich from the orchestra pit. And when they realize they're in this dream, the stage open up, opens up beneath them. That same uh, cloud with an eyeball from Finn's dream reemerges. Uh, and they put all this stuff from their dreams together uh, to kind of make this cloud into uh, like a, almost like a being and they stop and they realize that this orb is actually a nightmare princess who really just wants to get some bananas from their boat. So, they wake up, the orb takes a bunch of bananas and leaves and gives Finn this liquid in a ruby container. And uh, they're almost home. They see the shore up ahead. And as Bimo looks through his uh, telescope, it's clearly not the land we remember them leaving behind. And we'll dive right into that with elements. But a bit, definitely a weird one with all the dreams going on. What did you think about it, Justin? I thought it was interesting. Um, I, I It was... It certainly felt like a, you know, it was it had all the hallmarks of, of what you think of with uh, with dreams, and uh, so it was a little stereotypical in that way, especially like you said with the teeth and the flying. Um, 
but there were some interesting themes in each of the dreams, even though I, I couldn't really uh, like concretely connect all three of them or the purpose behind the dream. There were sort of themes of authority and, and uh, maybe feeling like you're not fully in control of your own life, that there's always, there's sort of someone telling you what to do and when to do it or, or something, you know, someone, you know, hanging over you. So that was kind of interesting that, that, uh, a little bit that connected all of them. Um, it, I, I'll be honest. I, I didn't, uh, I, I totally forgot this, uh, episode at all until, uh, existed really. Cause it, it, it's just, a it's not even a bridge. It's a bridge to the end game to the, to the end of the series, but it's not, uh, it's not super connected or at all connected to the next eight episodes. So I kind of forgot it existed. Um, but going back and watching it, I, I thought it was I thought it was good. It was um, it traded more on the weird than being interesting or funny or or serious or having a point. It just really it just went for the weird, I guess. Um, so not my favorite, but I, didn't, I guess I didn't hate it. Um, Brad, what do you think? Um, yeah, I'm not huge into dream episodes of any show in general. Usually, I guess you could. I mean, my favorite episode of this show is Pahoy, which might be a dream episode, might not be because Bahoy is also weirdly connected to the end game so actually it's interesting that episodes that have dreams in them are connected to the finale which i guess we'll talk about in the finale but generally i i don't know like sometimes this stuff's too um too removed it's too removed from reality for me i thought this one as far as dream episodes went was 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 solid i like that um Jake's dream sort of predicted some stuff about about the Elements miniseries. Like we'll get into this in a bit, but the the can not the Candy Kingdom ooh is now divided into four um, quadrants essentially, and Jake and Jermaine draw a quartered circle that they have to dig through to find. I I think I don't remember it so well, but I think it was he was trying to get to Jake's dad. Yes, so that was kind of neat. Yeah, I mean, just going back to what Justin was saying about what the themes were, I, I kind of felt like Finn's dream was about his fear of Fern taking his place and about PB getting older because, her I mean, her teeth usually, I mean, I don't think anyone really knows what dreams mean, but they say that the very common dream of your teeth falling out is a fear of getting older. So maybe Finn is afraid of PB getting older or he's just still bothered by the fact that she is so much older than him. Uh, Jake trying to save his dead dad reminds me of dreams that I've had about my dead grandfather like being alive and me not knowing he's not supposed to be alive but somehow having to keep him alive so maybe that was why I liked it more is because it felt a little more connected to dreams that I've had um, I did not understand Bimo's dreams but like Bimo doesn't have a brain so who knows <laughs> what he's supposed to be dreaming about it's just like a quick production thing because I this is like my bugaboo bugaboo stick up my butt they now call this the season nine premiere but according to production codes it's still the same season that started with two swords and it ends with three buckets so that's the truth of season eight and season nine they they also they that that would be they call that now the season nine finale but it's really the season eight finale but they really wanted to get to 10 seasons so i don't know blah 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 whatever anyway thought the episode was i don't know kevin what do you think of it overall well, on top of that production thing, I felt like when I was reading, because you had talked about the DVDs and such, and it kind of didn't jive with what we were talking about, how they were, were produced. But I think what happened was, is like, and I don't even know how this happens without a discussion or something, but like, they put out the season seven DVD and they were like, oh, okay, well, I guess we have to go with this timeline now. So 
we're just going to start with season eight, I guess, and go from there. Um, so it wasn't so that so that kind of explained it more to me where like just all of a sudden a season seven DVD dropped and put a fine point on the end of that season. And they were just like, oh, wait, OK, then let's re, you know, kind of put things together. So the production order is, yeah, that that that's the one to kind of go with, I suppose. Uh, uh, all that I guess, aside, I mean, it just seems like Cartoon Network and the production team of the show just weren't on the same page at all. Sure. But I but I think that's interesting, though, that like a, a DVD would be produced and that's when they would learn, like, this is the season seven ending now. Right. Ugh. Very strange. Net- networks. <laughs> the worst. Uh, yeah. Like I like like you guys kind of said, like it was it was cute. I do like that. It was just a nightmare princess who wanted some bananas like no more or at least from at least this episode, no real sinister other wants or desires. Uh, interesting. They have that little Ruby container now with the, the liquid inside. Um, I do like on top of everything you said, I do like that Finn's dream of um, feeling kind of like weightlessness and uh, freedom in the clouds and then being tethered to land with princess Bubblegum. There is very much the anxiety he feels in a few episodes from here on. And, uh, also, the what we see in the window with Jake after he gets his soul sucked out is very relevant to the very end of this mini movie, too. So I rewatched this after watching all of Elements. And then I was like, oh, I, I didn't forget it was there. But I was like, oh, OK, now now that's now that makes sense why that little foreshadowing bit was there. So I think having have watched all of it together, I appreciate it more rather than if I just like had watched it at one time on cartoon network, and then forgotten everything before watching elements. Yeah, there was, I guess there was a lot more foreshadowing. I thought, cause, cause uh, I thought other people would bring this up too. Uh, uh, Finn in his dream, when he's talking to PB, you can see that the, the candy kingdom has like, is like infecting the grasslands around it. It makes you wonder if maybe nightmare princess had already been to Ooh and seen what was going on. And some of her, thoughts or memories were infecting their dreams yeah that could work yeah why not let's talk about elements sure so part one of elements begins with skyhooks so our our main people bemo finn jake have come home to discover that their house is all covered in candy and soda the outside is all pink and fern nectar and shelby are all now peppermint gingerbread and gummy respectively and have no memory of their pre-candy lives fern now calls himself fun uh, Bimo and Jake end up actually kind of happy with this change, but Finn, of course, wants to go talk to Princess Bubblegum to get some answers. There's a bunch of changes to some characters, like Lemon Grab is now Lemon Pink, who gives pink lemonade to people. The clouds rain jelly beans. Uh, Jake thinks, like, maybe this is something that doesn't need to be fixed, but they, they have their mind changed when they come across Sweet Pea, who's crying. He hasn't been changed, but both his parents have. Mr. Pig is now Pinata, and Tree Trunks is this awful terrifying ice cream sundae who's painting sweet pea with caramel to try to turn him back to normal quote unquote and sweet pea tells finn or uh, that princess bubblegum's now in this terrifying tower before he runs away to be saved from his parents they find marceline who is now marshmallow the campfire queen and can turn into a s'mores monster uh she brings him to the top of the tower while singing green sleeves and pb herself is this actual tower And she tells them that she has become a pure candy elemental as she was meant to. She's fixed everyone in the candy kingdom. And now that they're back, she can fix them too. And just in time, a cloud above with the ice king in it saves Finn and Jake with his sky hooks, pulling them up into the cloud kingdom. Bemo is unfortunately left behind and turned into a a candy being. Ice king says, I live up in the clouds now. 
and Finn and Jake look down to see that Ooh is now split into the four even elemental sections, uh, just like Patience Map showed at the end of Jelly Beans Half Power, and that we kind of saw those four quadrants in the last episode. And so that's our little cliffhanger for part one. Brad, what did you think of this? Um, I think it's interesting that Bubblegum sings the intro to the miniseries, like the Adventure Time theme song. I think, um, who sang it? Did, did Finn sing it for Islands? I think so. I think so, right? And uh-huh. Marceline obviously sang it for Stakes. It's interesting that Bubblegum sings this one since she's the she's like the big bad in this miniseries. So so I thought that was that was interesting. Jake has this line. He says, uh, we got to get to the bottom of this hot shower when they're trying to figure things out. And I busted a gut. And I want, and I, this always happens to me where I, I hear something like that. And I'm like, I want to use that in my, in my life. And then I forget immediately to do that ever. I don't know. So it's interesting. I, I do feel like elements in general has a more episodic structure than islands did. Islands felt, oh, well, the first half of islands felt kind of episodic. And then the second half felt more, uh, serialized this i mean because they're going they're like bouncing around between like the cloud kingdom and then the winter or the ice kingdom and slime and you know uh fire and then eventually back to the candy kingdom it feels a little bit more episodic which i like because it helps you remember which episodes which so i thought this was like a solid um intro to that you know we're in the we're in the the candy kingdom we 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 meet fun the human and mr pignata and cream trunks and nectar and lemon pink like you said and marshmallow the campfire queen i usually hate puns but i like those so it's cute it's a cute start sets the tone everything's everything candy is super candy so we assume everything everything else will be super everything else and i'm looking forward to seeing or talking to you guys about what that is uh what do you think justin uh yeah the lemon grab bit where he squeezes his face uh and directly into the camera is, is like uh pretty terrifying even for lemon or sorry lemon pink um terrifying even even for him um it's uh yeah i i I thought it was good i thought it was um uh it it told you a lot about finn that he was sort of worried about this okay i'm gonna i'm gonna attempt to connect this a little more to orb actually now that i'm i'm thinking about it because i never i've never i never associated losing your teeth in a dream to old age or getting older um because you don't your teeth don't fall out when you when you get older i mean i know that's a common that's that's what you connect it to to me I, I always thought the way it was used it was meant to represent uh in 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 a lot of people's dreams or in a lot of i, I should say a lot of um, television shows dreams things like that it's more it's more meant to represent like permanent change because once you lose your adult teeth they don't come back um and it's just you dealing with that very sort of permanent change um, against your will. You don't, you know, the teeth just sort of fall out and there's nothing to do about it. You just have to sort of deal with that consequence. Uh, they do a little bit of, of that in the like kind of the middle of the Sopranos as well. There's a lot of dream stuff in the Sopranos. But that's um, that's a component of a, a heavy dream episode. Um, and um, so may, this might be a response to that. So this idea of he is not he he's sort of horrified by any sort of like uh like the the change is immediately uh no matter how cute it is on its face it is always and consistently horrifying to him um and the, and even before he discovers there's sort of an insidious element to it it's like he always he just sort of senses it um which i i really like that and i i sort of get why Bimo and, and Jake are just kind of going to go with the flow and 
um, and not, and just sort of, <laughs> I think they were ready to accept this as their new paradigm. Like this is just how it is now. We're, it, everything's uh, gummy and whatever. That's that's totally fine. So I like I like seeing um, Finn uh, working toward that goal, and it becomes a a, a big part of. It's, it's basically Finn's narrative throughout this whole miniseries. I do also. I think it's interesting seeing which characters weren't affected by the change because it's mostly a, a sweeping generalization that everyone was affected, but Sweet Pea not being affected, and of course being the the former Lich. Uh, I found to be very interesting. Did he? Did they explain why he didn't get changed? It just didn't happen. I don't think they did. It just it just passes over him. I think it's so. Easy thing to sort of potentially um, figure not not figure out, but justify at by the end of the series when you kind of figure out when you find out what's going on and how it gets resolved. You can sort of hypothesize why he might not have been affected. But yeah, at this point, it's not. It's not very clear. Yeah. I, yeah. Let's talk. Let's bring that back up in the next episode. I want to talk about that some more. But for now, let's talk about the next episode of Elements. So bespoken for uh, this is where Ice King tells Finn and Jake what happened. Why are we now in four sections where fire, ice, candy and slime have taken over this land? What it boils down to is that patient St. Pym is to blame. But Ice King's story is a lot more about him and Betty, who he doesn't remember. Um she uses this guise of going on a date to get Ice King to meet her at Magic Man's house. And Ice King calls the agent sleeping Magi of Life giving and can, and uh, they convince him that he needs to get a bespoke suit for his date. He can't just go in his usual garb. So picks up a dark blue suit, then flies off to the Magic Man house where Betty conjures up a seafood restaurant from their past. And she snaps when none of this is remembered by the Ice King and ends up sending him back to the Ice Kingdom. And she confides in Tiny Manticore, and Tiny Manticore tries to convince her to, maybe it's best to accept the Ice King for who he is now, as opposed to trying to get him to be Simon again, or remember Simon, all that stuff. So she kind of agrees with this, and goes back to the house and conjures up some birds, because uh, Ice King has taken up bird watching as his best friends are gone on the islands. And uh, this is when we see Patience returning, uh, she freezes Betty when she realizes that she's very powerful. So she went off to go get uh, something to power her elemental purification spell, but was only able to get some low-level fairies. And so she tells Ice King, uh, like, oh, Betty's not here anymore. She left to be with her old boyfriend when he wasn't looking. Uh, and she gives Ice King some soothing donuts. And as he's eating them and looking out the window, we see in the background – Patience has brought Princess Bubblegum, Slime Princess, and the Flame Princess back under hypnosis. And Ice King finds her doing this elemental spell with the four of them and using Betty to power the spell and interrupts them. And Patience tells the elements to attack. So Ice King, with uh, as many gunters as he could save, which is exactly one, flies away to safety. And this story gives Finn and Jake their first lead towards how they can fix things. And uh, Jake gives the great line, they just need a little patience to get to that point. Uh, so this is just our, our kind of typical, what what happened? How do we get here kind of episode? But I know, Justin, you love the Ice King. So what did you think of this episode? Oh, man, such a great narrator, just uh, in, in general. And it was, um, uh, I liked this episode a lot. I like the, they did the, per- I think only did two. They did two cutbacks to the conversation they're having where, but Finn and Jake are like, why are we? And it's just, just, 
and he continues the story. Um, I, I really like that uh, uh, aspect. I, the depressing nature of uh, Betty and Simon's uh, relationship, notwithstanding, it was um, I thought it was a really funny episode. I liked just so many little things with the Ice King are always so funny. Like when he tries to pretend that he can't, he doesn't, uh, you know, uh, he doesn't know who it is, but he's trying to pretend he does. And just says, hey, why don't you give me your information? And he's dialing into a banana. Um, he tries to, like, she's freaking him out on the date. And he pretends to call uh, Gunter uh, with his role. And then after faking it, he just eats the role and mutters something like, ah, modern technology or something like that. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's really, it was really, really funny. And again, kind of uh, heartbreaking. Um, it was good. I, honestly, I didn't. I, I was really glad to see that there wasn't this big sweeping like um, explanation that took a whole episode. It was like two scenes that explained what happened. Really, maybe three, and everything else was just like Betty and Simon still uh, not not being able to connect or or you know uh, still very very far away from one another. So I thought it was good. I thought it was really interesting. That uh, and I I could have looked in more into this, but I I couldn't be bothered. And maybe Brad will have uh, uh, this connection. There was some element that they re- they didn't ever really explain about this dream that uh, Ice King had, and um, it was this like I can't re- I can't remember the episode, but essentially it showed him at some point either as a crab. Or he was just under the surface, and there was like a crab. There was a crab in a dream that he couldn't. So you you forgot your floaties. It's the end of the episode. Yeah. So the fact that they go to this restaurant that is supposedly the place for them, they'd always go, and they went to their booth, and their booth had a big hanging crab over it. Um, probably coincidental, but I found that really interesting. Um, I got nothing for you except good call. That that's the connection. Sorry, I looked it up. And it says, dreaming of a crab indicates that you are being stingy or needy or holding on to someone or something too tightly. It suggests that you are being irritable or emotionally insensitive or could represent someone in your waking life who is acting these ways. So that uh, uh, holding on to someone or something too tightly uh, seems like something that could be relevant. Yeah, that's very Betty. I wonder what came first here, because this episode is essentially Simon or Ice King, rather, telling Finn and Jake something very simple over the course of 10 minutes. Um, I wonder if the idea first was like, let's have an episode where Ice King reconnects with Betty, or let's just stretch this thing we need to do over 10 minutes because we only have seven other episodes. I think because there there was this other thing where we do see patients kidnapping the princesses, but we don't see that going down. We just see the aftermath, and that, that could have been its own thing. It probably was the former. Um, this probably was an actual creative choice and not a necessity. But I have some questions like, where did Ice King even find leaf literature? And is Bob Leaf really an expert? And why hasn't Master Shake been an ooh? The ancient life-giving magi is fine. But when I hear, what's his name, Dana Snyder? Yes. When I hear his voice, I'm just like, I want to see what Master Shake would make of ooh so badly. Because I see it going once, one of two ways. One is he comes in and he's totally exacerbated and, and irritated by everything and freaks out. And the other is he like, I love when master shake gets into a weird situation and plays it cool. I would love to see master shake trying to play it cool in like the flame kingdom. I want that so badly. Yeah. I, I, I see him up as, as he tends to do 
being belligerent and upsetting someone clearly more powerful. Yeah, oh, it would be so great. I didn't expect that there would be an offspring reference in Adventure Time when he says he's pretty fly for an ice guy. Yeah. Um, I liked... Um, I liked Tiny Manticore telling Betty that she turned his words into something depressing. There's a lot to say about perception influencing mood. I don't know. I, it, it was solid. It's definitely look. It's definitely more of an episode than than like Cloudy is. But but it does remind me of Cloudy in that I was like, I wonder if they really needed eight episodes to tell the story, and maybe they only needed six. But as far as like maybe not fully necessary episodes i had a good time watching it yeah honestly like this and cloudy might have been two of my favorite of the eight so there's that but also you guys uh my favorite ice king line is where he's talking to gunter about the day he's like yeah i don't know about that second date i don't want to become that guy that abandons his friends and hangs out with a girlfriend all the time i want to be that guy so badly (laughs) that's great stuff (laughs) Because yeah, Ice King a hundred percent wants to be that guy. So yeah, this is this is a lot of fun. Uh, I thought it was a clever way to kind of tell our backstory in an Ice King fashion as the narrator. So this was a, this was definitely a favorite of me of these episodes. Let's talk about Winterlight. Winterlight Part Three of this. So the first world they're going to break into is the Ice World, because uh, this is allegedly where Betty is, and they are like, all right, well if Betty's the battery, if we get her, problem solved. So they break into the Ice World, which is like this big encased dome which is where the uh, the new Ice Kingdom is. They have Finn using a sword. I guess it's Rattleball's a sword. Penetrate the Ice Dome. Uh, Ice King is still wearing his bespoke suit, and he actually changes his, his total look by shrinking his crown down and combing his hair over it and putting on some ice glasses for, I guess, uh, appearing incognito. Uh, the dome makes the entire area they're in really dark, and as they're sledding through... They see like a uh, so like an ice colossus and things like that, but they end up on a they're they're traveling on a sled and they end up hitting this house where the former Cloud Carol is and she's now made of ice, and they invite her to come with them to help stop patients. But Carol's actually pretty happy with her change, so they go on without her. They enter this new ice kingdom, which is in the shape of a pyramid uh, through this hole in the side that they found. Inside, uh, there's the foxes. They're playing music, and one of them is singing. Choose Goose is in a birdcage next to them. And there's also this gigantic ice statue of all the four elementals. Uh, Jake even develops this ice claw on his head, which makes him look like one of his kids, according to Finn. And Patience is there. She finds them because Carol ratted them out. And Patience tells them that the spell she cast worked too well. She distilled the princesses into something more monstrous, and their their elemental powers overran them. It didn't work exactly as she planned. And she seems upset about this change, but says, you know what? The universe is an abyss of suffering, so it makes no difference if she changes it back to normal. Everyone in this ice kingdom is, like, really downtrodden and sad. And we see Jake kind of go through this change now that he has this ice claw on his head. Uh, ice King discovers that Betty has been encased in ice. She's being used as a table for this shrimp party that she was that Patience was throwing. And so Ice King grabs her in this ice block and goes away. Jake is totally frozen solid and is all depressed. And Finn takes him away. And there's no resistance from Patience. Again, she's kind of given up. And Choose Goose says there's no point in having friends because everything else will end. So Ice King brings them back up with the sky hooks again. And turns out that Patience no longer needs Betty's powers to keep powering this elemental spell. Uh, she makes Jake this very peppery soup that turns him back to normal. And Betty says that... Uh, Hey, if I had the Enchiridion, I could figure out something to fix things. And Finn actually pulls out the version he took from the farm world. And uh, Betty gives a very disconcerting, maniacal laugh to end this episode. 
so she's uh, a little bit crazy, as it turns out. Uh, Brad, what did you make of part three? I really like this as sort of a primer to what the second half of the miniseries will be. I really like, first off, I really like that Simon does not know what bespoke means, and he just uses that word over and over again in ways that it doesn't make sense. He's really funny in this one. I'm sorry that I keep calling him Simon. I just, I can't help myself. I also, I mean, like, I love, because I talk every week about how there are things in this show that upset my uncanny valley and really activate my sense of disgust. And when Ice King sees Finn's face on Finn's shirt and doesn't understand that, that there's two of them or, or that one of them's fake or, or we go see him go through the process, I just felt so in touch with him i related to that so hard um so that was great um i thought a few things were interesting here one finn's interactions with the ice golem was a reference to the um non-canonical pilot so you could make the argument that this sort of means that the pilot is sort of canonical or it's just a reference to the pilot and it's uh, an easter egg in there for people who have seen it and finn is saying this stuff for the first time and he's never said ice to meet you to the ice golem before the way I guess the way I thought that this episode was an interesting primer to the rest of it is so it's pretty clear that the ice dominion is like, okay, I'm going to preface by saying I am, I was, I was a philosophy minor, but that was a long time ago. And I don't really remember a lot of this stuff. I didn't study it that hard. I just had the credits, but um, the ice dominion is pretty clearly supposed to be like distilled nihilism. And we find later that the rest of the, um, the rest of Ooh, the other four quadrants also fall into like optimism and hedonism and anarchy. And I, I like that, that uh, each element sort of drives one of those philosoph- philosophies to a far too deep extreme, which is why everyone in the ice King uh, ice dominion is super depressed, including Jake uh, temporarily. So I dig I, that also thinking about the miniseries in that way makes me like it more than I did the first time I watched it. And even when I liked the, even the second time I watched it for this, but when I was writing up my notes for it and I started thinking about that, it gave me a new appreciation for the miniseries. Um, what do you think, Justin? Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It really gave an opportunity to these ideas that I had had before watching it and thinking about these themes. I really got to kind of crystallize and better understand them, especially what went wrong with the spell. I think it becomes very clear what went wrong with the spell as we go through these um, episodes because of how different the the relative ability possessed by that person uh, is conflicts with their own actual personality and drives and interests and that that collective and 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 uh, conflict with one another is I think what creates so many problems in each individual kingdom, um, which is really uh, I think it's it's cool to watch those play out. Um, yeah, in general, I, I thought this episode was really was was really fun as well ice king was just like like you were saying just just so funny throughout it um also quick shout out to um matt waters uh a a friend of ours who found out today that he is apparently allergic to shrimp so uh you know the scene where ice king devours um the the hors d'oeuvres i um i don't know why i'm thinking of him now but um you know Pouring out for him because shrimps are delicious and uh, he, he can no longer eat them. Um, but uh, yeah, the episode was good. It, it got um, it, none of these episodes so far. Train none of these episodes so far. Sometimes when you when you do a mini series, 
you realize that they just had to connect this part to this part and they filled stuff in. This feels very organic the way that they're going about these things. I, I, I think that's why I've liked it so far is that everything feels like it has a place and I don't see the, I don't see the, uh, the infrastructure or the, um, the, what do you call it when you're building something? The seams. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. You don't, you don't see the seams. Uh, I, I don't feel like I do here. Um, which is, uh, always, uh, a good feeling when you're going through something as meticulously planned out as these things are. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I liked it a lot. What did you think, Kevin? I really enjoyed the the mood of the episode, just like the darkness of the Ice Kingdom kind of gave this like brooding and foreboding sense of just like anything can happen or they were in a real sense of danger. Um, so I like that. I don't there's something about the way that patience going from this big bad to kind of this apathetic person rubbed me the wrong way throughout this mini series. But we can get to that when we get to kind of the final episode. Uh, but here it was fine. And I do and I do like the distinctions they made in the four different quadrants as well. And uh, it kind of makes sense that 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 the the down the the sadness, the nihilism would be the ice kingdom with the and I think the the way it was drawn and portrayed matches that perfectly. I want to talk let's talk about that patience thing for a quick second. I like it because it sort of me makes this storyline into a Frankenstein Frankenstein's monster situation where patience is the villain to begin with, but then the much greater threat is what she created and she falls into despair because it didn't go the way she wanted and she's no longer the villain. I've always liked that storyline because it's sort of how the world works in real life. Like, okay, the United States mission accomplished, killed Osama bin Laden, but you know, like terrorism didn't go away and bin Laden spent his last years in a pretty you know, rough condition. Yeah, I, I, I thought that that rang true for me, but I could see I can see where it's kind of jarred. Well, I didn't I didn't think it was a I didn't read it as a choice. I read it as a she wanted to bring out the whole point was that she wanted to bring out the true essence of these elements in the four. But the problem is, is the essence of those elements connected to very different emotional frequencies than these four people exhibit. They, they don't, they're not anything like that. She's not. So I think it overwhelmed all of them in, in very different ways for her, the nihilism that comes, that's, that's attached to this power of ice, um, this, this deep sadness and melancholy and even depression, um, is, I, I think it just overwhelmed her. I think if everything went back to, if, uh, you know, without jumping too far ahead, um, when, when everything, she dodges the fix and I think if she hadn't dodged the fix, it might it would it would go back to normal or would see a different uh, like that that version that we saw initially. So I think that she is in effect suffering from the very spell that she cast on everyone else as well. All right, and how about Cloudy? Cloudy, part four, no cheats to be seen. Finn is growing very anxious about all this, and so he keeps pestering Betty on the cloud with Ankyridian. So to comfort him, Jake swaddles Finn into the cloud so he can relax and just let Betty do her thing uninterrupted. Finn and Jake end up falling asleep, and their portion of the cloud breaks off and floats away. And they wake up, and Finn has a bit of a freakout, and Jake was going to just use his body to expand it to a glider and take them back. But he can't until he goes to the bathroom, and he gets, uh, for lack of a better word, pee shy. So they have to kill time until his mind allows him to go. Uh, And Finn sees this cloud float by with a door on it. Jake decides to use haircut therapy to help 
Finn make Finn less anxious. Uh, they're not actually giving each other haircuts or using their fingers, but it works because Finn confesses that he feels partly responsible for the elemental spell because he had left you at this time. And his subconscious may have been secretly hoping that Fern would not succeed in protecting it. Uh, and then Finn provides the same kind of haircut therapy to Jake. And Jake says he's worried that, you know, we all might be dead. And if not, then my kids and wife might be candy zombies right now. And, uh, this haircut therapy, along with them singing a song, cheers them up. And Jake discovers that behind that floating door in the cloud is a cloud toilet. And so Jake goes to use it, and it turns out to be this booby trap, and the cloud is actually an angler lard. And Finn decides that I'm going to both distract the lard so he doesn't digest Jake, and I'm going to use the scent of Ice King's bespoke jacket that uh, was used as a blanket for him to pick up the scent of the Ice King so he can take them back to Ice King and Betty. And that plan works, too. And uh, as they're floating back, Jake comforts Finn by telling him that, you know, by not being around you when the elemental spell was cast, we didn't turn into candy. And now we can actually help fix the problem. And that further makes Finn feel better. Uh, uh, So they get back there. Betty says if they can retrieve the three royal jewels from Princess Bubblegum, Slime Princess and Flame Princess, she can create an elemental counterspell using the Enchiridion. And with that, we end the first half of elements with a plan in place. Uh, I thought this episode was awesome. I really liked getting Jake and Finn to just like friends, like brothers would kind of talk out their anxieties, make each other feel better. It felt like kind of like a necessary step for both of them to move forward and to carry out this plan. So I thought this episode was excellent. Uh, And Justin, it sounded like you uh, agreed with me. We originally discussed it. Yeah. Yeah. I like this one a lot. I I think when, maybe when I first watched it, I I can't really remember, but I, I would suspect, that I'd be a little frustrated because I, th- at this point I, we sort of knew we were headed toward uh, not just the end of the, the, the miniseries, but sort of the end, end of the series. I feel like we knew it at that point. So whenever you're at the end of something like that and you, you start seeing all the things that you want to see tied up, whenever they stop and they just sort of let something um, marinate for a bit, it can be very frustrating because you're like, ah, get it on the grill, get it on the grill. Otherwise, you're not going to have time to cook it before the end. Um, but uh, seeing it now, um, and maybe I, maybe I did feel that way at the time. It, it was a, a breath of fresh air and what, what was some really condensed, um, you know, tight storytelling that didn't, it didn't give you the option to. And anytime you watch a standalone episode of Adventure Time, you can imagine that this was weeks later or months later whatever it, it did you don't you can you don't have to imagine that it's the next day that after defeated this ogre then they had to do this thing um you can imagine there was like breathing room in between them and here you don't really have that luxury you don't you, you have the boat trip but even then you get an episode that takes place on the boat trip so there isn't a whole lot of like sustained relief and even finn in the first episode back is like uh, oh man, I can't, I can't wait to just like not adventure for a little bit. Um, and he has to, he's thrown right into it. So it's really good that they took time to process those emotions. Um, and then just two brothers, uh, taking care of each other, uh, was, was really nice to see as well. So I, I liked it a lot. Uh, Brad, what did you think? What did I think? I like this episode. It's fun. It's funny. It gives you, I think, and I and I really liked getting a look into the way Jake was thinking about things versus the way Finn was thinking about things. 
I I just recently watched the second season of the Umbrella Academy, and I won't spoil anything in case either of you or any of our listeners watch that show. Except to say, season two is much better than season one. There's a character in it who has a child, and then but okay, so both each season takes place. If you combine the two seasons, they take place over the course of two weeks. So a ton is going on in these two weeks. But for some of the characters, it takes place over a longer period of time because there's time travel. And it's funny that in some in some uh, episodes, one of the characters who has a daughter will pay lip service to this daughter that she never sees, but should be caring about and be worried that she hasn't seen them. And th- that kind of thing made me really like that Jake brought up his family because he goes through all these things and all these and, and there are like major world changing things that happen that could affect his family. And he does sometimes he talks about them often he doesn't and it was good to know that like in his head he is worried about this and what's happened to them and something definitely has happened to them so so i like that a lot and and also haircut therapy is real i don't have a lot of notes on it i liked it i liked um and i liked that it wrapped up with them getting back to ice king and betty and that's it uh oh and i do like that it wrapped up ice king being jealous that they got haircuts despite there being no physical appearance differences in right. of them. Uh, I always so I wonder they this is a, a trick that comes up or a joke that comes up in TV and movies a lot, you know, imaginary things that can be seen by other people. And um it makes you wonder if maybe Jimmy Jacobs is right about about the, all our connectivity in the world. He's not. No, he's not. He's not. Uh, he's not. Uh, also, listening back to this podcast makes you realize Brad's favorite thing is comparing TV shows to other TV shows. I like TV shows. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and it just so happens to work out that a lot of it is is related to whatever you're currently watching. Yeah. Well, I'm currently watching a lot of things. True. Uh, how about some snails, fellas? Do it. So in Orb, there's a one point in Finn's dream where he sticks his head in a cloud and there's the party god and some cloud bananas and the snails there, too. In Skyhooks, it's in the what used to be the treasure room of the treehouse, which is now all covered and made of candy. In Bespoken Forts, on the roof of a building in, uh, I think they were in Wizard City when they were going to get the the Ice King suit at the tailor. It's on the roof of one of the buildings there. Uh, in Winter Light, uh, there's a bunch of ice gunters outside of the Ice Kingdom where they find the hole to climb in, and uh, the snail's inside of one of those ice gunters. And in Cloudy, it's on top of the the cloud toilet tank right before the 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 angler lard comes and reveals its plan. And I that's saw the, the I saw week. the toilet snail. I saw it when I watched. I never <laughs> see it. And I saw it. Any snails for you, Justin? I never see the snail. <laughs> this episode, uh, Danny twice, or that this this run, Danny was like snail. I was like, where? Was like on the screen. I was like, where on the screen? Like I never, I never see it ever. Not once. I'm very proud of her. It felt good to see the toilets now. Um, I'll talk cameos real quick. In Orb, Tom Sharpling came back as Jerome. Thu Tran came back as Amo and Simo. In Skyhooks, Andy Milanakis uh, was Nectar. Justin Roiland was Lemon Pink. Justin Roiland once blew out his vocal cords doing the Lemon Grab voice. And when he went to the AMT, he got a cortisone shot and had to speak in a robot voice thing for a couple weeks. And the butter robot in Rick and Morty was based on the depressing sound of his robot voice because of lemon grab. So that's a little tidbit for you that I heard in an interview that Justin did. That's great. Um, in Bespoken Four, Lauren Lapkus is Patience again. Uh, jo- uh, Kevin loves Lauren Lapkus. Felicia Day is back as Betty. And as we mentioned, Dana Snyder is the life-giving Magi and Bogo. And then in Winterlight, Car- Cameron Esposito is Carol again. 
She's great. And then there's no guest voices in Cloudy. Kevin, tell us about your life. Okay. Uh, my life is exclusively on Twitter at KFord13. Oh, and I guess I do some podcasts also at the same place you're listening to this. I did a Lost podcast. That's totally done. I did a Veronica Mars podcast. That's totally done. And I've got a current Breaking Bad podcast, a monthly podcast with Jerome Cusan. We've covered all of Breaking Bad. We covered El Camino, the movie, this month. And next month, we will start with Better Call Saul. Justin. At Justin J. Houston on Twitter. Brad. I'm at Garungate on Twitter. And please uh, check out Too Old to Date on iTunes. Since we've been doing this podcast, I've noticed a slight tip uptick in people listening to that show. So that's kind of cool. I hope that keeps going. And aside from that, you know, thanks for flooping the pig. Come back next week and listen to more elements. Thanks for flooping the pig. I floop the pig. Is that why you called the episode? Is that why you called it uh, too old a date? You're now slipping in references at the beginning and end of the podcast.